us for worship today at First Baptist Church of Wixom. Here are a few upcoming events to help you stay connected. Mark your calendar now to be in town for the FBC Wixom 185th Anniversary Homecoming Weekend on June 10th and 11th. We are planning several events to celebrate God's goodness on our church for nearly 200 years. To start the weekend, we will have a kids' fun run and an adult 5K race on Saturday morning. You can sign up for these races by visiting the church website or by scanning the QR code on the screen. The kids' fun run begins at 8.30 a.m. and the 5K will start at 9 a.m. We will also have a bouncy house and Kona shaved ice so you can enjoy the festivities as a family. On Saturday evening, there will be a homecoming cookout with outdoor games at 5 p.m. and a musical concert with the Merrills at 7 p.m. And on Sunday, we will have a great time of worship at 10 a.m. with evangelist Aaron Coffey. There will be no Sunday school or community groups that day. Don't miss this incredible weekend of celebration. Men and teen boys are encouraged to gather for prayer on Saturday, May 13th. We will meet at the Backyard Coney Island in Wixom at 8 a.m., and back here in the link for prayer around 8.45. There will be a young adult fellowship this Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. at the church. Hamburgers will be grilled and there will be games to enjoy. Cost is $5 per person. Please let Bradley Tice know if you plan to attend this event. Community groups continue tonight at 6 p.m. And you can pick up study sheets on the table in the back of the auditorium. If you are not yet connected with a community group, please visit fbcwixom.org forward slash community groups for more information. Community groups meet most Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. We are planning to do two baby dedication services, one on Mother's Day, May 14th, and one on Father's Day, June 18th. If you would like your little one to be a part of these dedications, please speak with Pastor Brad today. In just a few minutes, we'll be dismissing children four years through the third grade at the back of the auditorium to our junior church ministry. 
While there, they will enjoy a great time as they sing songs, play games, and hear a message from God's Word prepared just for them. Giving is one of the many ways we have to worship the Lord. If you'd like to give financially, you can utilize the giving box in the back of the auditorium, or you can give online at fbcwixom.org and click on the tab at the top of the page. If this is your first time at FBC, we would love to connect with you. If you would like more info about FBC, prayer, or to learn how you can get involved, you can fill out a connections card online at fbcwixom.org forward slash connect. Also, make sure to stop by the Welcome Center for a special gift on your way out after this service. Once again, thank you for joining us for worship today. Now we invite you to worship the Lord through song as we prepare to hear from God's Word this morning. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you this morning. Can I have one of you guys bring the uh, PowerPoint clicker up for Elsa? It's really a privilege for us today to have one of our missionaries with us. We've supported Elsa Ramirez for many, many years. She's our missionary to Tijuana, Mexico. And uh, we're excited to not only have her here this morning, uh, but to also be participating in junior church and to be sharing with our school kids this week. I think you're going to be blessed uh, by hearing what God is doing through her ministry It's such a privilege for us to have Elsa here. Elsa, come on up, if you would, and share with us what the Lord is doing in your ministry there in Tijuana. Thank you so very much, Pastor. I'll stay here. I'll stay here. For obvious reasons. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Let me tell you why I'm here for. For 40-some years, almost 50 You have been supporting me. I want to say thank you. I don't know how many more years I'll have. I don't know, you know, what the Lord's plans are. Perhaps this will be my last time here. I hope not. I want to work probably 20 more years if God tarries. But uh, I'm here just to say thank you. Your prayers have been really answered. So this is 59 years of ministry. And really, I started since I was born, so it's 79 years. So, in 15 minutes, okay? Put your your, uh, seatbelts, and let's go. Oh, here we go. (laughs) Right here. Okay, I was born in, does it have a pointer? I see. Right here. I was born right here in Pachuca, Hidalgo, Mexico, but I work over here in Tijuana, the other side of San Diego. You know, Roman Catholicism is the lie, the great lie in my country. My parents were born Roman Catholic, but they became Methodist Episcopal. The red building is the school of the Methodist Episcopal. That's where I went. It's a beautiful church made by the English people. My parents got married there. The bishop of the church was my godfather because I was sprinkled when I was a little three-year-old. That girl with a big, humongous bow, that's me. (laughs) More bow than girl. But anyway, so this is the house where I was born, and I lived 20 years. 
the, the theme of this, this uh, presentation is God can use those things that are nothing. The weak, the most unlikely to succeed. You know, that's me. That's me. And what God has done. If you give your life to him. That's my neighborhood. I mean, that's the, 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 the compound house where we live. My brothers and the boys there. Right there you have the, 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 the dryer. And behind there was the washer machine. You know. Okay. But God chose me. First Corinthians says, why did he choose me? Because I was a nobody. That's why. This couple came and told me that I had been saved because I didn't know I had been saved. I was reading Isaiah 53, and I said, God, you did all this for me? I had never before think that I was a sinner. I thought sinners, the ones in jail. But I was in church every time. I was a teacher, a Sunday school teacher since I was 12. My mom used to preach in the pulpit. So I was saved. But Isaiah 53 told me, all we like sheep. I, like a sheep, have gone astray. And so I gave my life to the Lord, but I didn't know that that was my salvation experience. You know who knew? God knew. And he sent these missionaries. They told me I had been saved. Show me verses on assurance of salvation. And next day, they put me out in the streets to witness. At that time, I was studying to be a surgeon, just one year short of becoming a surgeon. Why did I want to be a surgeon? To get money. So I said, Lord, this thing about getting people saved is so exciting. I don't know if you all know what it is to see a person entering into eternity. I mean... If I operate on people, I can give them 100 years probably, you know, extend their lives. But when I take the twitch sword and take sin away, that person is going to have eternity. Is there any comparison? No comparison. So I started having a fight in myself. Do I want to be a plain missionary or to be a mission? I mean, a a doctor. Can somebody help me over there? Okay. I wanted piano lessons. I could never have money for piano lessons. I wanted to learn English. I wanted to visit the USA. I wanted to visit the palaces in Europe. Oh, I can tell you so many things I wanted to do. And one preacher said... Remember King David? He was going to offer sacrifices unto God. And a king, friend of his, says, Help yourself with my oxen. Take as many animals as you want and offer them to your God. And what did David said? No. For I will not offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which cost me nothing. So David paid the price. And that fellow said, if you want to serve the Lord, you have to pay a price. You cannot just say, I'm going to serve the Lord. And I said, the missionaries had told him about me. 
the missionaries. I mean, I know he knows my story. And I said, Lord, let me be a doctor. I will not charge anything to the Methodist pastors. <laughs> but once I made the decision, this missionary told me, okay, you have put your hands on the plow. Don't look back. And then he drew a picture in a piece of paper, and it was a tomb, and put my name on it, and said, if you look back, you will not be fit for the kingdom of God. So my parents kicked me out of the house. The bishop kicked me out of the Methodist church. And these missionaries, they are the ones that I thought, they told the preacher, you know, about my story. They said, Elsa, if your family reacts, you know, badly, you know you have a door where to knock. And I said, <laughs> you don't know. My mom is the founder of the Missionary Society. And she is the president of the Gideons International. No. We go to schools and hospitals and hotels and all stuff. But they kicked me out. But immediately God comes and gives me a promise. Everyone that forsakes father, mother, everything, you know, I will give him a hundredfold more. Do you know that sometimes the Bible comes short? He has given me a thousandfold more. Wish I had time. This Elsie girl, she helped me. I got to Moody Bible Institute, and she got some students to pay my studies at Moody Bible. Then I got another scholarship, work scholarship, in Tennessee Temple, and I went to study there. And he became my father. Then these teachers became my parents, too. And all these people, I always wanted a quilt, like Americans have. I got it. This lady was a nun for 42 years in Colombia. She became a mom in Canada. A precious sister, another one that I just saw in. Oh, I wish I had time to tell you the stories about these people, how they have really helped me. But perhaps the one that really has made the whole difference is Vicky Gates. At 4 o'clock in the morning, she prays for me for an hour. Why am I here for still? those prayers. Please pray for me. So one of the countries that God wanted me to go was Spain. I had been in Venezuela. I had been in other countries. And the Lord says, you are going to Spain. I didn't like Spain. I won't tell you why. But anyway, I didn't like it. <laughs> but the Lord said, you go. I said, they are so proud. And he says, you shall dash their hearts in pieces. Will you really do that? She says, ask me, just ask me. So I went to Spain. Took my mariachi dog, you know, to Spain. We got there, and I work in camps, family camps, youth camps, and even music camps. How beautiful it is to get into a village where there's no witness for the Lord, and then pretty soon... A small church stars. Oh, just to see God there. Starring churches is just something that you cannot explain. How do we do it? 
visiting people, getting houses, whatever. When I got there, the missionary said, we are not going to connect your gas or your electricity or nothing. Get with the neighbors and ask them. That's how you make contacts. And I had to go and ask him, can you please help me? And Anyway, I always work with books, always, wherever I am. What about getting those little ones and for the first time they have never done it? Children, put your hands like this. We're going to talk to God. That little girl right there, let me see. I got it. Oh, I'm going forward. That one. Where the U is. That girl. This one. Well, that little. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) That little girl got home, and the daddy was a drunker, and you know. And she says, Daddy. You cannot eat. Put your hands like this, and now we eat. So pretty soon the daddy was in church. So anyway, oh, 70 kids came to the Bible from the streets, came to the Bible lesson. Now, if you want to know who was the instrument for that, come to the preschoolers' presentation. These are my girls. I'm just going to go like this real fast. The, the, uh, the student body at the Bible Institute. Then God called me to France. Completely different. Each one of these ceilings, a million francs every year. You have to change it. So you know where we are. These are the missionaries I work in France with. Five children. A lot of my work was babysitting. We had really humble beginnings, just the children of the missionary and myself, that's it. But the Lord helped, and pretty soon we had a church. I was just acting, guess who I am, you know, and doing all kinds of things. Children's church, we had it three times a week, and I was the only one there, you know, to have children's church. You can see. I went to the Sorbonne to take a course on French culture. This Mexican girl didn't know anything about the French. So I went there and I learned a lot. But my students, you know, my, um, the students in my class, four girls got saved. Praise God. Which I told you. One Czech, one Slovak went to their countries and they helped the missionaries over there to translate their materials. Some girls, Spanish girls, uh, Mexican girls, married to French French people. So I had a work there too. When I finished in that church, we were running 70 people. 70 people here doesn't mean a thing. You go to Europe and get 70 people. God, your prayers, your giving, thank you. So God says, return to the land of your fathers. And I went back to Mexico. But, of course, I had to have an MK again. That's fluffy. He graduated with, no, with honors. You know, before he can get into the ministry, he has to be trained. <laughs> now, look, he's helping us a book stand, Bible stand. These children, he and his brother came, and poor fluffy was this way and was this way and was that way. Anyway, five hours but the mother got saved. After they left, Fluffy says, please don't wake me up in three days. <laughs> a lot of people 
my disciples getting other people saved. It's just precious. Oh, did you know that I was born in, in, in China? Mr. Hudson Taylor led me to the LOL. So I told them, the Buddhists don't hear, they don't save. And after that I said, neither those idols in the Catholic Church. So those are the churches, different churches that I have seen the Lord start. So I'm not going to stop, you know, explaining each one of them. You just have to. One thing is training ladies how to be Sunday school teachers. We have a school. We started three schools, three Christian schools. Sometimes I just play the piano in some vacation Bible schools, training ladies in different churches how to be teachers, Sunday school teachers. So, praise God for the fruit. And you have a lot of fruit here. You know that I, one of the things I wanted was to learn how to play the piano? The Lord not only gave me that, but I can compose hymns. And I composed a, a, an oratorio for Easter, and this fellow heard one song. He had given his life as a, for a, the pastorate as a nine-year-old. But the thing years came and he forgot the Lord that he came to church heard the song went back home, quit his job and now he's studying to be a pastor, pray for him I never thought that that would happen anyway, these people, you know this couple, were deep in drugs, look how my dress is different they only had one outfit they told me, every time the outfit is just raggedy we go to another store, steal, and change it. So that's why they only had one outfit. Praise God, they are now living for the Lord and free of drugs. And this is one of the stories that I love to tell. A person, 26-year-old, that was in his death road. The policemen didn't follow him anymore. They knew he was going to drop dead any of these days. I went to camp for only a three-day camp. And I met him, and God saved him. He became the pastor of the church. He started making his home and everything. He wanted to get married. He, ah, beautiful. Okay, thank you. A year later, he took me to a lake, and he says, I just brought you here to remind you that a year ago I got saved. Look at the difference, right? His story is uh, illustrated. Another fellow that God saved, another lady, his children, now they are preaching in the same pulpit that I took the picture when they were babies. Oh, this girl was a staunch Catholic and now pastor's wife. That's the first church I saw God start in Madrid. He, he started three churches in Madrid. Our graduates now teachers in the school. It's just precious. That lady was my first disciple. Now she's my pastor's wife. This is the church now that I'm working in. My disciples, I wish I had time to tell you, you know, about them. But anyway, this is the work that God has, you know, done for you. Our assistant pastor, he's 18, going into the ministry. Every child in the school plays from one to seven instruments 
In Mexico, we're talking about. In Tijuana, God has a sense of humor. We have a radio station. And these people, of course, are my best. Pedro and Charo getting saved in Spain. Now they are missionaries. I remember when they went out door to door with me. Now this is their church. They are leaving that church in the hands of a Spaniard and starting another church. And in that church, Alberto got saved. He became a missionary. His two children got married, and now they are missionaries in Seville, probably the most fanatic place in Spain. You know that the most difficult thing is to win your family for the Lord? My mom and my dad got saved. They are in heaven. My nephew is just serving the Lord. Director of four choirs. Right there. My other brother, doctor, you know, leading the singing, in dramas, wherever. I wanted to learn how to play the piano. God gave me, a, you know, to have a recital, a degree. I teach. My students now are teachers. I made an oratorio and a cantata. I drive music. I translate hymns. Remember, I wanted to go to the palaces in Europe right there. I am there in palaces, in the Louvre. I'm sorry. That's my living room in Paris. I just let some people get in, you know, sometimes. I translate for videos. I want you to get this video, you know, here in church that, God, that pastor will show it to you. I went to beautiful Canada to learn French. So I speak French, English, and Spanish. God chose somebody that was nobody. So I will not glory in his presence. But who will go to still reach all these people? Who will go? It's so hard in, in, in Europe. And I'm telling the young people, if the Lord calls you, don't stoop to become a king. The race is not over. I can still look back. Please keep on praying for me. What will our epitaph, epitaph be in our tombstone? You've been busy, haven't you? <laughs> Hopefully that'll help you know how to pray better for Elsa. Elsa is one of those names that you see on our weekly prayer list, but you might not know personally. Today she'll be out at the back table after junior church if you'd like to meet her and talk to her and ask any questions of her. She did bring with her two different forms of a prayer card, and these are back there as well if you'd like to pick one up and Put it on your refrigerator and remember to pray for her. She values your prayers greatly. Thank you for coming and sharing, and thank you for serving on our behalf. We, we greatly appreciate it. Let's pray as we continue with our service today. Father, we're so grateful that we can gather together today, and we thank you for the truth that we have heard already, that you are still saving souls, and that the gospel of Jesus Christ changes lives. Lord, we've seen that among our congregation, and now we've witnessed it in other places in the world. And so we just praise you for it. We thank you for what you're doing with the gospel message around the world. Thank you for Elsa, and thank you for the privilege of partnering with her in ministry. 
We ask that you would bless her week together with us. May it be an encouragement to her and a help to our church and school. Lord, we're grateful today for all that are in attendance. Thank you for um, our regular attenders as well as our guests today. We ask that each one would be encouraged spiritually. We ask that you would bless Holden as he brings your word today. We ask that you would lift our hearts in worship as we sing these songs about your grace and your mercy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, continue to worship the Lord through song, singing about the God of grace. Let's sing this out. God of grace, amazing wonder, so immeasurable and free. Oh, the miracle of mercy, Jesus reaches down to me. Awesome cross to make me whole. God of praise, who loved and knew me long before the world began. Sent my Savior down from heaven, perfect God and perfect man. God of salvation testimony back in March 11th, 2001, as a bus kid coming to church and someone telling me about Jesus, telling me about the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what we all need. It's not just the, the ones who we can see that, right, in their life, the poor, the, the meek, the, the ones who don't have anything. It's for everybody. Everybody needs the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And his wonderful mercy. Let's continue to sing about that this morning. His mercy is more. More than anything that you and I go through, his mercy, his grace covers it. Let's sing this out. What love could remember, no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. What patience would wait we constantly roam. What Father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes a we 
Bibles to Psalm 136. Psalm 136. Psalm 136 is a psalm that is designed to teach, of course, as all psalms are, but it is specifically a psalm about history. It recounts really the same things that the first five books of our Old Testament tell us. Of course, with much less detail, since there's a lot less space. But this psalm was intended to be sung at a specific point in the calendar year, every year, in the Jewish religious cycle. It was a Passover psalm. It was designed to be sung when the Jews were going to worship God for his salvation from Egypt, specifically. Now, this psalm has a purpose, and its purpose is to teach us what God has done, so that we can be confident about what God will do. This, in fact, is exactly what the discipline of history is. I teach history in our school here, and that's what I do every day. The kids maybe don't know that, but that's the purpose. We learn what happened in the past. We analyze what happened so we can draw some conclusions, and hopefully we can act correctly or fix things before they happen in the future. That's the goal of history. That is the goal of today's psalm. 
Let me illustrate, perhaps, with a historical example. I want you to consider Abraham Lincoln this morning. Abraham Lincoln, of course, is one of our most famous presidents, but he was president during a completely unprecedented time in American history, both before and since. He was president during the American Civil War. As a president in the middle of a civil war, he was asked to do many things that had never been done by a president before. And Abraham Lincoln was particularly unprepared when it came to military matters. He had served as a militia captain in, in an earlier war, but that was it. And so he was tasked with choosing the right guy to lead the most important army of the Union, the Army of the Potomac. And at first, he was not very good at it. Now, this is not Lincoln's fault. In fact, he's primarily given very, very poor advice from people who were supposed to be intelligent and well-connected on these things. We have George B. McClellan, the little Napoleon. He was failure. We have Ambrose Burnside. I'll let you take a guess which one of those he is up there. Okay. And we have Fighting Joe Hooker. In sequence, three of perhaps the worst American commanders, at least at the highest level, ever chosen. Now, Lincoln realized at this point, and by the way, he is a great president who learned from these mistakes. He realized that credentials, advice of people who really had political angles on all of this stuff was not really what mattered. What mattered was looking back for a confirmed pattern of success and choosing someone on that basis. And that's what he did after these three and many others had failed in their role. He began looking for someone who demonstrated what he actually needed, which was a commander who could win. You probably are very familiar with the man he chose, Ulysses S. Grant, pictured there in the middle with Lincoln, along with some other successful Union Civil War generals. But Grant was selected because he had a winning track record. He consistently in the past did what was necessary to win. In fact, Lincoln, when later asked about Grant, when Grant was in the middle of the Bloody Spring, one of the harshest campaigns in American history, where it was not clear Grant was winning, he says, I need Grant because he fights. That's what Lincoln said, because he looked at what Grant had done in the past. He was confident, therefore, Grant would succeed in the future. And of course, for us, we know that President Lincoln was correct about this. Grant would win the war for the Union. He was ultimately successful. Lincoln looked at the past, he draw conclusions, and he was confident about the future. This psalm asks us to do the same thing, but about God. This psalm is going to tell us what God has done so that we can go with confidence about what God will do. Now, today, this psalm is about God's mercy and his grace specifically, because, of course, God has done many things. But today, specifically, we want to look at his mercy and grace historically and how we can have confidence in them. If you've looked at Psalm 136, you may have noticed something unique about it. It repeats the same phrase 26 times. It also happens to have 26 verses. The back half of every single verse in the passage is this phrase in the King James, for his mercy endureth forever. Um, it talks about loving kindness and other translations. Same thing. All of that means mercy. So we're going to do something a little bit different today. I am going to read the first half of each verse. And you're going to read the second half, which fortunately is really easy. It's on the screen. That's the second half of every verse. Okay, so you're reading that. I'll read the first half and we will read Psalm 136 together this morning, starting with the first verse. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods. 
Oh, give thanks to the Lord of Lords. To him who alone doeth great wonders. To him that by wisdom made the heavens. To him that stretched out the earth above the waters. To him that made great lights. The sun to rule by day. The moon and stars to rule by night. To him that smote Egypt in their firstborn. And brought out Israel from among them. With a strong hand and with a stretched out arm. To him which divided the Red Sea into parts. And made Israel to pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him which led his people through the wilderness. To him which smote great kings. And slew famous kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites. And Og, the king of Bashan. And gave their land for an heritage. For an heritage unto Israel, his servant. Who remembered us in our lowest state. And hath redeemed us from our enemies. Who giveth food to all flesh. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Lord, thank you also for your grace. Help us to understand what you have done in the past. Help us to praise you for what you have done. And Lord, help us to draw confidence that your pattern of behavior in the past is one that you continue to show and that therefore we can have complete and utter confidence in you. Lord, please fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill us with the Holy Spirit as we dig into your word this morning. We ask this in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Now, of course, uh, the title today is God is Merciful and Gracious. You probably picked up the word mercy there 26 times in a row. And I hope while that perhaps did feel repetitive, we have to remember that Scripture is not normal speech. If I say something 26 times in a row in that short of amount of time, you probably think I have a verbal tick or something like that, or I'm not very original. That would be a fair assumption in my case. But when God repeats something, it's not a verbal tick, it's important. So today, the phrase, God's mercy endures forever, is the key phrase. God really wants us to get this. And hence, he devoted 26 verses of scripture to repeating it. So I want us to keep that very, very carefully in mind. Now, the funny thing is, while mercy is repeated continuously in this psalm, of course, the word grace wasn't present. So why talk about God's mercy and God's grace? Well, here's why. Because God's mercy and God's grace go hand in hand. And while the word grace is not present, the concept of grace is. And really, if we discuss one or the other of these two things without its partner, we have an incomplete view of what God has really done. 
Now, I want to begin today by defining what mercy and grace are. Mercy and grace are very common terms in religious circles, in our church. We talk about mercy and grace all the time. But I don't want to assume that we all know exactly what these things can mean. In fact, we actually hear these terms so much that context stops being able to exactly tell us what they mean. What is God's mercy? What is God's grace? And are they interchangeable? Sometimes we use mercy and grace as if they were exactly the same thing. They're very close but they're not exactly the same thing. So I do want to define them this morning. Mercy in the dictionary is defined this way, compassionate treatment to someone under one's power. We could perhaps describe this in a theological way or in reference to God as withholding the deserved punishment of sin or other human action or, stated simply, not receiving what we deserve. 2 Peter 3.9 illustrates how God has mercy on all of humanity because it says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, which is the mercy. And then he continues with grace, but that all should come to repentance. That lets us talk about grace. Grace in the dictionary, again, is a favor rendered when one need not do so. Or, in other words, it's receiving something we do not deserve. So mercy is something that we deserve that doesn't happen. And grace is something we do not deserve but happens anyway. And, of course, when we think about ourselves and our Christian walk, of course, we are sinners. We deserve death and separation from God. That's what we ought to get. But God is merciful and does not do that. And instead, he is gracious and gives us what we do not deserve at all, Christ's righteousness, which if we accept Jesus as our Savior, we receive. And through that righteousness, we receive eternal life, an undeserved gift. So these two things must work in concert. In fact, if God did not have both mercy and grace, if you've ever thought about this, this is actually really bad. For example, a God without mercy would simply destroy us. I mean, God might like to give good gifts, but since we're all sinners and none of us deserve gifts to begin with, then a God without mercy would not be a good thing. Because as we know from Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. A God without mercy would destroy us for that, and yet he is not. But even if God was merciful but not gracious, that wouldn't benefit us Either because we need God's grace to actually have a relationship with him. Even if he was merciful and did not destroy us, we would live eternally separated from him. He has to be both of these things at the same time. Otherwise, in reality, it is of no use to us. This finally brings us back to Psalm 136, now that we know what mercy is, what grace is, because we want to talk about this psalm. This psalm, as I mentioned, is a Passover Psalm. The Passover is the ultimate example of mercy and grace prior to Jesus Christ. Of course, Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of these things. But the Passover in the Old Testament is the ultimate picture of what Jesus would do. So it is the second greatest picture of God's mercy and grace in our Bibles. This 
psalm was designed so that the Jews could fulfill what Deuteronomy 6-7 says. Deuteronomy 6-7 is part of the most famous part of the Old Testament, um, the Shema, which is, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. So you're supposed to teach the truths about God to those who follow after you. And you're supposed to teach specifically, this is about God's commands in context, but in a broader sense, you're supposed to teach what God has done for the people of Israel symbolized in the Passover. This is actually, we could describe this as discipleship. In this particular verse, this is primarily family discipleship. Parents investing in their children. But of course, this is applicable in the entire Christian body. This is what this psalm is designed to do. And the way it does this is not actually by recounting the Passover. Despite the fact that this is a Passover psalm, it is sung at the Passover. That is where it was used for worship purposes. It doesn't really talk about the Passover. Instead, it summarizes the story of the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is the first five books of our Old Testament. And if you look closely, you will notice every single one of the five books mentioned. There are events from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy all covered here. And specifically, these are being brought to our mind to consider the mercy that God displayed in these things. And as we'll talk about in a little while, God's grace as well. Now, I'll briefly survey some of these things. There is so much greater depth we could go into. In fact, you could probably spend years reading the first five books of your Old Testament with God's mercy in mind and finding examples. The psalmist is limited in time, and so are we. But let me just give you a few highlights. There's more. This is an incomplete list, but I think it gets the psalmist's points across. First of all, creation. Of course, all of creation is a gift of God. It is a grace. God did so many things with creation that he did not need to do. Smells, sounds, tastes, as many of us are anticipating our lunch today. I know I am. God did not have to make these amazing, beautiful, and pleasant things, and yet he did. All of creation is a gift of God. Of course, there are problems in creation, but those are a result of sin. God gave us very, very graciously through creation. But of course, the creation account is also the first display of mercy because Adam and Eve violated God's trust and they disobeyed. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they failed the only command that they were given. And of course, the result of eating from that tree was what? Death. And yet God had mercy on them because, number one, he did not strike them dead immediately. But number two, his grace was again on display because in Genesis 3.15, he promised a solution to their problem. That eventually the descendant of the woman would rise up and crush the snake and he would restore the relationship that Adam and Eve had lost with God. So we have grace and mercy intertwined in creation. Now I'll cover the next Five events that the psalmist covers in even less detail. We have the sojourn in Egypt where we know the Israelites are blessed unbelievably. In fact, they're blessed so much that this causes them problems in the beginning of Exodus. There's too many Israelites. God's grace is on display. But of course, we also see God's mercy in that he protected the Israelites. Moses, chief among them. 
Next, the plagues, which, of course, God was merciful to the Israelites. We are repeatedly told that while Israel was God's people, they were just as guilty as their neighbors. And yet God protected them. And, of course, on their way out of the nation, God enriched the Israelites through his grace. Next, we have the Exodus itself, and this is a perfect example of God's mercy and grace. Number one, God did not destroy the Israelites, all right? They messed up all the time. They are perhaps the premier example of complaining in the Old Testament. They're always whining, and yet God does not destroy them. He wants to. Moses multiple times prays for God's mercy And of course, God gives it. But God's grace is also on full display. Literally, the children of Israel could not have survived without God's grace. He fed them. He gave them water. He gave them protection with his literal presence, the fire and the cloud that he demonstrated every day. As a wandering nation, again, they were not instantly destroyed. That is what God expressly said he was going to do in Numbers 14. But Moses intervened on their behalf and begged for God's mercy, even despite Israel's sin, and God gave it to them. And God gave grace by not destroying all Israelites, merely those who had gone against what he had commanded them to do. The young people were not destroyed, but were able to enter the land. Finally, the land itself. They enter into the land, and they receive victory. But of course, they also receive mercy. Many Israelites, Achan perhaps, and we could name others, who sinned, who could have brought down God's wrath on the nation, are the nation itself receives mercy despite the sin of individual members. Finally, of course, God's mercy is on display in the Passover itself. This theme that we're being taught is designed to be applied back to that pivotal event of Passover. God is accepting the blood of the lamb instead of the blood of the sinner we the sinners deserve what has happened to the lamb this is representative of god's mercy he's accepting a sacrifice in exchange for us which of course he would do with jesus christ but it's also a grace Because remember that the Passover is also a seal of what God will do in the future. It's not just an avoidance of judgment now, but it is a promise of future victory of the nation of Israel through God. And of course, Jesus Christ is the same. He paid for your sins on the cross, but he didn't just pay for your sins. He guarantees you victory through himself. That's his grace for the future. And of course, he guarantees eternal life. So the point of the psalm truly is that God is merciful in so many ways and that he is gracious in so many ways. To summarize, God gave us creation. He did not instantly destroy us. He made a way for salvation and he did good things to people who did not deserve it. Remember the Israelites, while there's not a perfect parallel between the Israelites and us in this There is, the Israelites are an example of a people who did not deserve God. And as Elsa told us this morning, that is true of us as well. And yet, he does take care of us. He does love us. He had mercy on us. And he had grace on us as well. That brings us to the very end of the psalm. The last four verses is where the psalmist really turns from primarily considering mercy to discussing grace because he says a few interesting things in the final four verses. Number one, God loved us even though we were low. 
Now, again, this in context is talking about Israel. It's not necessarily talking about us, but the New Testament parallels these passages. The nation of Israel had nothing to qualify them. God chose them not because they were holy, not because they were strong, not because they had demonstrated a little bit more good behavior than anybody else. And yet God remembered them or chose them. Remember does not mean like he had thought about them, then he forgot. No, he chose them when they were nothing. But even more so, God says God rescued us from our foes. And of course, throughout Israel's history, God is always doing this. And this is something where because we have the whole story, we tend to underplay how important this is. I'll give you another historical fact. Weak nations lose wars. Always, okay? Weak nations lose. Let me illustrate that with the United States. I am a very proud American. Yay, I love the USA. We would have lost the American Revolution had we been left to our own devices. Britain was the preeminent world superpower. They had, in relative terms, unlimited soldiers, unlimited money, and to be quite frank, unlimited amounts of time with which to beat us back into submission. If it had just been the American colonies versus Britain, they would have lost. Fortunately for the United States, Britain also had a long list of very, very passionate enemies, and those enemies were willing to assist us in beating them. The most notable amongst these is the French. You might be familiar with the Marquis de Lafayette, who Washington considered an adopted son, but the French gave us resources and soldiers and warships. But, of course, they were not alone. The United States received help from Spain, from the Netherlands, from Austria, Prussia, Russia, and many more. And only together did we win. And so, kind of like Israel, sometimes we tend to think to ourselves, we won entirely on our own. We're awesome. And the United States is awesome. But the point is that we needed help. Israel had to say the same thing. They on their own were completely weak. They had no chance against their enemies. It was only through God's power they could be successful. But again, as Elsa said this morning, the same is true of us. We are foolish and weak, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 1. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Now this is not to discourage us, but it is to remind us our victory, our success, is through the grace of God, who's empowered us with the Holy Spirit, who made us his sons through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are not responsible for winning victory on God's behalf. God is choosing to win through us. So this is a point of great hope and joy if we remember it and we do not instead take a prideful view and say we are what makes this work. We are not It's all God. And this psalm is designed to remind the nation of Israel of this truth. It's a good warning for us as well. The final thing that this psalm says is that God gives food to all flesh. There are several historical, biblical examples being referenced here. Of course, in Genesis chapter 9, God told Noah and his sons, now all meat is available for eating. And man, I am glad God made that command. Just last night, I was able to enjoy some really high quality steaks with guys here in the church. And I'm so glad it wasn't tofu or anything else vegetable related. 
All right. Thank you, God. That's awesome. Number two, of course, if we consider the nation of Israel, the promised land that God gave them is described in Scripture as the land of milk and honey. These are good foods. But there's a general principle being described here. It's really not so much about food, although that is a great example of God's goodness. But what this is really about is that God is a giver of abundance, of good things on a regular basis basis. This is a demonstration of God's grace. So God loved us when we were low. He gave us victory, even though on our own we couldn't win. And he gives us good things all the time. Now, again, the New Testament reiterates this for us. Romans 5.18 reminds us that we too are low, but God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the same as God reaching out to Abraham when he was still living his life in Ur, not following God. God reached out. So the same is true of us. We were low, but by God's grace, he saved us. 2 Timothy 1.10 reminds us that we are given victory from our foes, but it is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death, our enemy, our foe of all mankind, and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. God's grace has defeated our enemy. And finally, of course, God gives many good things. Perhaps the verse that has been most impactful in my life, Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestine to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, God gives good things so that we can be more like Jesus Christ. This is the ultimate demonstration of God's grace. Now, the final verse of Psalm 136 tells us what to do about all of this, and that is praise God. So let me give you some specific things that I suggest we praise God for this morning. Number one, as repeated 26 times in this passage, let's praise God for the mercy that he had on us. Number two, let's praise God that he sent his son. This is the ultimate expression of mercy. His son came for us to protect us from our own sin, to eliminate the consequences for our sin. And of course, let's praise God for giving us what we don't deserve. So let's praise God for what he's done in the past, but let's also praise God for what we know he's going to do based on his track record. God is going to continue having mercy, not only on you, because we're all going to keep sinning. We're still humans. We still have our sin nature. God still has mercy but he also has mercy on those that are still lost. Praise the Lord. He's still merciful. Number two, he's going to preserve our lives through his grace eternally. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, that he was who he said he was, he lived a perfect and sinless life, he died, he rose again, and he's coming again. If you've done that, then you are going to live eternally. That's God's grace, and it's something you can have confidence in because he's proven his track record. Number three, God is going to continue to bless his followers. He's going to continue to be good because he was good in the past. He will be good in the future. Let's praise God for all these things. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to consider your mercy and your grace this morning. Help us to praise you for what you have done, what you will do. 
Lord, we thank you for your unlimited generosity, your unlimited mercy, your unlimited grace towards us. We ask all this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Appreciate that, Holden. We're going to continue to sing this morning, actually close with a new song, emphasizing Jesus's amazing mercy. We're going to sing the first verse in the chorus, and we're going to have you guys join us on the second verse. Jesus, your mercy is all my plea. I have no defense, my guilt runs too deep. The best of my works pierce your hands and your feet. Jesus, your mercy is all my plea. Praise the King who bore my sin, took my place. When I stood condemned, oh, how good you've always been to me. I will sing of your mercy. Stand and sing of that mercy with us. Jesus, your mercy is all my boast. The goodness I claim. The grounds of my hope. Whatever I lack, it's still what I need most. Jesus, your mercy is all my boast. Praise the King who bore my sin, took my place when I stood condemned. Oh, how good you've always been to me. I will sing of your mercy. Aren't you thankful for that mercy this morning? Jesus, your mercy is all my rest. When fears weigh me down and enemies rest. Comfort I cling to in life and in death. Jesus, your mercy is all my rest. Praise the King who bore my sin, took my place when I stood condemned. Oh, how good you've always been to me. I will sing of your mercy. He's the one true joy comes from. Let's sing this out. Jesus, your mercy is all my joy. Forever I'll lift my heart and my voice. To sing of a treasure no power can destroy. Jesus, your mercy is all my joy. Praise the King who bore my sin, took my place when I stood condemned. 
Thank you for watching this video of one of our recent services. It's a pleasure for us to have you join us from a distance and join our church in a time of worship around the Word of God. The most important message that we can tell you is that God loves you. And he loves you so much that He gave Jesus Christ as payment for your sins. And the Bible says that all that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. We want you to know that message that true life is found in Jesus Christ. An eternal life, the opportunity to live with God forever in heaven, in spite of our sinfulness. True life is only found in Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Would you be willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Would you be willing to pray something like this? Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I know there's nothing I can do about my sinfulness. I don't want to pay for my own sin, and I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want His death on the cross to pay for my sins. I want to repent from doing things my own way and make Jesus Lord of my life. Would you be willing to pray something like that and put your faith in Jesus Christ? If so, we want to help you as you start your spiritual journey with Jesus Christ. God loves you. Our church loves you. We're glad that you could watch this message today. God bless.